0: Down deep inside, Abraham sees this and he thinks, wow, God will deliver. But Abraham's real question is not with God. Hi,
1: and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff is preaching from Genesis chapter 15 about living every day in a way that celebrates the covenant God has made with us. But do we believe ourselves worthy of His love? This is his message, forgiveness.
0: I think some of you have an anchor in Christ, but it doesn't go down deep enough. You think you understand the Gospel, but you only understand it to a degree. Because God, in effect, is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I am gonna walk through the pieces for both of us because I know you're gonna break your covenant. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines.
0: It's, uh, It is. It's my goal uh, and my objective this weekend to get you to the altar. It's my goal and hope that before you leave this place, that you will come to the altar, that I'll get you to the altar. And so to help you do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15, verse eight, Genesis 15, eight. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question, a very simple one. Why is it, why is it that you think that most of us Christ followers do not live the big life that Christ came to bring? You know, the abundant life, this, uh, This life that's supposed to be a life that no matter what's going on around us, man, we're smiling. There's a centralized joy. That doesn't mean we don't have pain and suffering in our life. doesn't mean we don't have some setbacks, but something in us is like drinking from a well that never runs dry. And this water just keeps going into us every day after day. And people look at us and they think, man, what is it about you? You have such a peace and it passes understanding because things around you are falling apart. And yet here you are. This joy is centralized. It's contagious. That is the life, according to Scripture, that you and I are supposed to be enabled by the power of the Spirit in us to live. And yet, who's in the room right now? Let's think about this just for a moment. I've been in ministry long enough to know that there are some of you in the room right now that your parents weren't the parents that they should have been. They just weren't. And you're still living through that. Even now, 30, 40 years later, you still have these regrets and this bitterness and this anger toward the fact that your parents should have been something they weren't. And somehow you've just not been able to get over it. Some of you, you've got sibling rivalry still going. You know, your brothers and sisters were supposed to have your back. And instead, you feel like they stab you in the back. And you're not sure you even want to be around them anymore. So Christmas, holidays, Thanksgiving, it's a sad time for you. You don't want to be around the family. So you separate yourself as far as you can so that you can maintain some sense of peace and happiness. Others of you in the room, man, your life's just not turning out the way you thought it would. It's just not. Some of you thought you'd be married by now, and you want to be married more than anything else, but you, you just haven't met him or her, and it's just not, not going like you thought. And you thought by now in your 30s or 40s, you'd already have a family, and you don't. Some of you have a family, and things aren't good in your marriage, and you just can't figure out why this fairy tale dream has not become a reality. You thought you're going to meet him, meet her, you're going to have kids, you're going to have a house, you're going to be happy, and it's just been a train wreck, And so you live with a sense of quiet desperation, very little happiness in your life. Some of you didn't get into the schools that you wanted to get into. Some of you did have a career and now you're 45, 50. You thought by now you'd be financially independent so you could travel a little bit, play a little bit more golf, you know, not worry so much about finances. But the reality is for you, you don't know if you're going to make it from week to week, month to month. You got no idea. Some of you spent your entire lives building a business that just crashed about eight, nine years ago when the economy crashed and you're still trying to recover. If you look at who's here, everybody's carrying some kind of burden, but the reality is that the promises of God to us, let me, let me read a couple of them to you because these are the kinds of passages we read around here. In Jeremiah 29, "For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things, no matter what, God works for the good of those who love Him who called according to His purpose. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The God who gave us his son will not withhold any good thing from us. So where, where is this life that we're supposed to be living where this joy is centralized and yeah, bad things happen, we take them in stride, but we are living with a life of joy and elation and we're just, we're just glad to be on the planet. No sadness, you know, just, just joy. Let's think about something just for a second. There are good things in life, right? There, uh, coffee is still a good thing. Coffee's a good thing. You hear me talk about it all the time. I, this is the best cup of coffee I ever had right here on the screen. And I had to go all the way to Chiang Mai Thailand to get it. But they brought it on a little tray with a little uh, bottle of water. It was the whole presentation, the little symbol on the top of the cup. Was, I was so impressed with it so when I went to visit my daughter that I took a photo, I keep it in my cell phone. Now, I love coffee to me is a gift from God. It's just one of those pleasures that God gives like dark chocolate, strawberries, blueberries, those things. I just got back from India and in Darjeeling, I mean, we're, at the, we're in the middle, actually, we're at the, the end of nowhere, okay? And my wife kept saying, look, if you want to find a good coffee, you got to stop going to the chains, Because I want to go to something that's got some kind of reputation. See, for me, I would rather go to something I know is bad rather than risk going somewhere that might be good and it'd be bad and I'd be disappointed. But she kept telling me to go to this cafe called Himalayan Cafe. We kept passing. I said, no, I can't do it. Himalayan, what, what do they know about coffee? And finally, the last day there, we walked up and went in and I had the second best cup of coffee in my life. And you think, man, you get a lot of joy out of coffee? I got to tell you, I do. I don't know why, but a good cup of coffee, which you cannot find in these parts, it ain't Starbucks. I'm sorry, but if you think that's good coffee, you just live the sheltered life. <laughs> but there's coffee. There's dark chocolate. There's there's gifts. God, there are good things materially speaking that we have. But the, but the kind of life God is tell, is talking about is the kind this. Again, it's from a well that never runs dry. It's like like on a hot day taking a cold glass of water and you can feel it go to the back of your throat and then down into your esophagus and you feel it all the way down into your core. You just feel it. It's just refreshing. The Bible says that God has promised us, made some commitments to us and a covenant that we're supposed to live like that's happening every day. That refreshing, that rejoicing but I just don't see it on our faces, your face, or mine. I'm not judging you here. I'm talking about us together. What's the problem? I've been asking this for years. What is our problem? What's your problem? What's mine? What's going on? Is it that we don't believe that God will fulfill his promises? You know, that's what I usually hear pastors talk about. That's what I heard all my childhood. I don't believe that. I believe that most of you in the room believe that God is capable of keeping his promises to you. I believe that you believe that. Because God sent his son and died on the cross that you actually believe that he will deliver. you know what I think the real problem is? You. Amen. We're not afraid that God won't deliver. We're afraid that we won't deliver. We're afraid that we'll do something stupid along life's way and nullify the contract between us and God. We know he's faithful. We know he... We're afraid that we're going to get to one point in our lives where we really need something. And we start praying and the voice of God comes out of the heavens and says, seriously... You want me to keep my promises to you when you violated yours to me from day one? See, we don't say it out loud, but we live with that kind of quiet discontent. We, we know God. We trust God. God is able. God, God can do immeasurably more. It's us that we don't trust. God said, I will be your God and you will be our people. You will be my people. We believe that God's our God. We just don't always believe we are his people because we wander, we don't we? We stray. We do things we, we think we ought not to do. So we live with this constant fear that maybe we've done something to whereby God's promises are no longer applicable to us because we've not kept our part of the bargain. And so our confidence is in God. We're the ones we doubt. So I wanted to go back and rewind the tape and look at the story of Abraham again. I don't need to go over the whole thing because most of you are familiar with it. God basically comes to Abraham and says what? Leave this life that you have now and go to a life I will show you. And he says, Abraham, if you will do this by faith, and if you will follow my commands, if you will obey the things I give you, then I'm going to prosper you. You're going to have uh, descendants that are numerous as the sand on the sea, the star in the sky. And Abraham's first question is in verse 9. He looks to God and he says, uh, Oh, sovereign God, this is actually verse 8. How can I know that I will gain possession of it? See what he said? Can you believe? Who's he talking to? God just made him a direct promise. And he says, What? How can I trust you? Now, if you're God, what would you say? Dude, you know who you're talking to? This is God, man. I'm going to smite you. But God doesn't do that because that's not God's style. What does he do instead? In verse nine, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged them, or arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now tell me that this is not bizarre. (laughs) Did you see? God says, Abraham says, how do I know? God says, okay, go get me some animals. And he didn't notice in the text, he doesn't tell Abraham what to do with them. Abraham knows what to do. He cuts them into pieces. Half on one side, half on the other. You and I, when we read this, we, we're not sure what's going on, but anybody in Abraham's day, or even Jesus' day, would have known exactly what is about to take place. Let me help you understand what's going on here. It's been clear to Abraham. It, it's why he knew what to do with the animals when God told him to go and get them.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're hearing from Pastor Jeff about God's promises to Abraham, which are a symbol or outline of the gospel. His message is
0: forgiveness. Let me help you understand what's going on here. How do you and I enter into an agreement? How do we enter into a contract? We shake hands, but if we really wanted to count, and we really want to be able to sue you when you violate it, what do we do? Sign the name. Uh, that's the way we validate a contract. Uh, When we get married even, something as solemn and and gracious and beautiful as a wedding. At some point during the wedding ceremony, we kneel down, husband and wife, and we take an official pen with an official piece of paper and we sign our name. And basically that is a legal document. You are making a commitment to love each other, to provide for one another, to have joint bank accounts. You're saying we, the two have become one now. What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, what's ours is ours. So it's a legal document, it's the way we do things. My wife and I lived in everything from a trailer to a farmhouse until we came to California. We had saved our money basically for 25 years in the hopes of one day we'd be able to own our own home. So this is the first home that we have now up in Upland that we've ever been able to call this is ours. But when we met our real estate agent on signing day, she warned us that this is going to be a long process. Don't think it's going to be over quickly. I must have signed 300 sheets of paper, man. This is ridiculous. You're signing everything and you want to read them and you want to know what you're signing. And they just say, don't worry, trust me on this. You just keep signing. That's how we enter into contract. If you don't sign, then if you violate the contract, there are no ramifications. But if you do sign and you violate the contract, then you pay the penalty, You lose the rights and privileges associated with the agreement that you've made. Now, Abraham does not live in a a writing culture. He lives in a storytelling, an oral, not a written culture, but an oral culture. So when they want to enter a contract or make a statement, they demonstrate it publicly. Now, I'm only going to do this because I love cracking pots. But last week, if you missed last week, we talked about the story of the prodigal son And how when the son said to the father, I wish to live as though you did not exist, that the entire village would have walked him out to the city gate and they would have participated in a ceremony called Kazaza. And Kazaza, basically everyone in the community would have taken their clay pot and they would have said to the son, so we don't matter to you. Our family name, our prosperity, the expansion of our land means nothing to you. Well, if we mean nothing to you, then you mean nothing to us. You are disintegrated and dead to us. And that's the last vivid imagery he would have as he went away in a distant land to live away from the family, the father, and this culture. Now, Abraham and God are having this conversation. And remember, they're not in a written culture, but an oral storytelling culture. And so God had established a pattern long before this. Actually, it's repeated again in Jeremiah 34 when God said, The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between the pieces. So when you make an oath, you don't sign a piece of paper or shake somebody's hand. Here's what you do if I'm to make an oath with you in Old Testament times, I would bring these animals, cut them into pieces, and I would walk between the pieces as a vivid image of me saying this to you and to God. If I don't keep my part of the covenant, may I be cut off from the land of the living. May I suffer as these have suffered. May I lay on the ground dead and cut into pieces. If I don't do everything that I promise you in the covenant we have made, may I be cut off. May I be destroyed. May my flesh lay on the ground as these dead animals and may it feed the birds of the air and the beast of the field. You were acting out the covenant you were making. You were saying, may God breed destruction on me like these animals if I don't keep my word to you. Now, Abraham, when he's told to bring the animals, he knows exactly what's about to happen. God is entering into a covenant ratification ceremony with Abraham. That's why God didn't need to tell Abraham what to do with the animals. So he cuts them into pieces, but Abraham in no way could have anticipated what happened next. And if you will stay with me, this is life-changing stuff now. Here's what happens. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now here's what's astonishing. This blazing torch, this smoking pot, these are the same symbols or words used to describe God. When he came down the mountain and visited uh, Moses at Mount Sinai, gave him the Ten Commandments, and the Shekinah glory of God was present. Moses knew that God is filling this place. It's the same kind of imagery, the blazing torch, the smoking pot, as when God met with his people and protected them from the Egyptians As he was moving them into the promised land through the wilderness, his presence was indicated by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. These symbols represent the Shekinah glory of God, the overwhelming presence of God. But it wasn't just the presence of God that would have astonished Abraham. It's what the presence did. The presence of God, the blazing torch, hovered and walked between the pieces Abraham would have seen this and immediately been overwhelmed. God is entering into a covenant contract with me, and he's the one doing the walking. Now folks, this is the gospel. Let's go back. What is the problem with most of us when it comes to living out the promises and believing that God will fulfill his promises to us? The problem, first of all, is we're not sure about God. Just a little bit of doubt there. Abraham had a little bit of doubt too. So Abraham said, God, how do I know you'll deliver? And God said, I'll tell you how. Go get the animals and I will walk between the pieces. Do you hear what God is saying to Abraham? He's saying, if I don't fulfill my promise to bring ultimate good to you, to bring beauty, pattern, and design out of the chaos of your life, if I withhold any good thing from you, if I don't do, Abraham, what I've promised in this contract with you, may I, as God, be cut into pieces. May I be cut off from the land of the living. May my immutability experience mutation?" May my immortality experience mortality. My infinity suffer finitude. May my body as God be bruised and torn and pierced and destroyed. Abraham would have seen that and said, wow, is that even possible for God? How can God suffer? How can God die? How can God be broken apart? Down deep inside, Abraham sees this and he thinks, wow, God will deliver. But Abraham's real question is not with God the same way your question is. The real question is about Abraham. Abraham's more worried about himself. How do I know, God, that I will come through in this covenant? Do you remember the story of Hagar? Hagar, do you remember what I said in the beginning of the sermon? I said that God said to Abraham, leave your life here and go to this life. And if you will follow and obey me and keep all my commands, then I will bless and prosper you. Now, here's the thing. Abraham did not keep all God's commands. He blew it all the time. And yet what happened? He was prospered. Why? Why? It's the next part of this vision that's amazing. It's so cool. Because when God walked through the pieces to make the covenant with Abraham, he walked through alone. Usually when you enter into a covenant ratification ceremony, either the king and the slave will both walk through, or the slave will walk through alone, but never the king alone. And when Abraham saw this, do you get what God is saying? I think some of you have an anchor in Christ, but it doesn't go down deep enough. You think you understand the gospel, but you only understand it to a degree. Because God, in effect, is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I am going to walk through the pieces for both of us because I know you're going to break your covenant, but I'm going to walk through the pieces on both of our behalves. I'm going to take on myself the consequences of your sin. You with me? He's saying, Abraham, may I be cut off if I don't do my part of the bargain, but Abraham, may I be cut off if you don't do yours. <laughs> and what happens centuries later? God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you even if it means if I have to die. I'm going to bless you because I'm intent on doing so. And in Mark chapter 15, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that event was foreshadowed in Isaiah 53, for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. This is about Christ, God in the flesh. Now he was assigned a grave with the wicked, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. God was cut off. The impossible became possible. God became man. The immortality became mortality. He who is eternal became temporary. His immutability, his unchanging nature suffered mutation. The king of glory became a servant. God died. He was cut off from the land of the living at the crucifixion, trampled into the dust, and darkness came over the land. Do you realize what this means in the context of your life? Let me help you. Let me help you get the anchor down. Yes, on the cross, Jesus died for your sins, paid the penalty. But do you realize he also suffered the cost of your broken promises so that you don't have to? He walked through for both of us. You're not only forgiven of sins, past, present, future. God said, I'm not going to, I know you're going to violate the contract. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to pay the penalty for your violation So that I can still give you the promises that I promised to you. (laughs) What do you want? There is nothing else like this anywhere. Think about what happens. If you and I enter into a contract, let's say you and I enter into a contract, and you violate that contract, what happens? What are the results? That means you lose the rights and privileges associated with the pact we've made. It means that you forfeit the claim to all the perks associated with our agreement. But not so with God. Why? Because it's not dependent on you. In Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, faith, believing in what God did for you, he walked between the pieces. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're an heir. You're a son. You've been adopted in as a son or a daughter. You're grafted in. You say, Pastor Jeff, but what if I violate the contract? What if I'm unfaithful? What you should say is, when I'm unfaithful, when I violate the contract, what happens? Here's the answer. God walked between the pieces. This
1: is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll leave it there for today and hear more about God's promises and forgiveness next time on the program.
0: For many of us, death is more real to us than the resurrection. You know, as you get older, if death is more real to you than Jesus' resurrection, as you get older, you're just gonna be cranky.
1: Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.